Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So this episode is going to be a fun episode. Um, this individual that you're about to be introduced to, uh, it's funny that his branding is phenomenal and it always tells you about who he is. You know, he's a guy that knows a guy that knows your aunt, that knows your uncle, that knows Johnny, that knows about marketing, that knows strategy, that knows all the people that you need to know at the right time in the right place. So for all intents and purposes on this episode, we're going to deem him the network boss. So without further ado, Mike, why don't you give our audience a little bit more insight of who you are and and what are we going to talk about today? Very good. Well, thank you. So great to be on here. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. I am indeed the guy who knows a guy. And I, I like to joke that uh, I'm such a good networker because I'm not that good at anything else. So you got to be good at one thing. But that's the key to business. Be really good at one thing. And as long as that one thing is something that uh, someone will pay for, you got a business. So it all started back in 2014. I moved to Groton, Connecticut. I didn't know anybody at all. I knew myself, my wife, no one else. And for what I wanted to do, I needed to have some connections. So I started going to every networking event I could find, every ribbon cutting, anything where people were, started meeting people. And I didn't really know how to do it. I read a couple of books, but I wasn't a networking expert by any means. But I found within a couple of months, I was connecting movers and shakers to other movers and shakers. And I'm like, how do you guys not know each other? You live five miles apart. You've been the same place for 50 years. Mm-hmm. But people don't tend to network. You know, when you know a few people, you don't feel the urgency. You're like, oh, I know people. I'm connected. When you know nobody, that's when you have the urgency. So I was meeting everybody, and then I was connecting them. So flash forward to, 2000, to 2020, uh, then I managed to upload myself to the internet, as we all did at that time. Because Southeast Connecticut, where I live, Southeast Connecticut is not the commercial capital of Southeast Connecticut, let alone of any other part of the world. So the great opportunities aren't here local. So I was really well connected in an area where the opportunities weren't. But once I went online and started going to virtual networking events and virtual summits and virtual conferences and meeting people in Canada and Australia and England and Africa and Atlanta and you know all over the world, I was able to meet, you know, meet the kind of people I really needed to meet and then connect them because that's kind of what I do. And I eventually was able to build that into a business because I realized, and some people shared me the idea that people will pay for introductions. Mm-hmm. You know, they need those connections, especially if they're doing joint ventures, if they're, um, if they're working with other people, which most entrepreneurs are finding other people to solve their problems instead of doing it themselves, because that's how you get ahead. But you need to find those people and that takes time. So I save my clients the time because I'm going to be networking 20, 30 hours a week, no matter what, whether they're paid for it or not. So I might as well leverage that by carrying my clients with me in my head. And every time I meet with someone, I'm thinking, which of my clients this person need to meet with? And then making that introduction for them. So it's as if they're going to the event, as if they're doing all the networking, but they're not spending all the time to do it. And uh, I, I like to joke, I'm a professional frog kisser. I kiss all the frogs. <laughs> introduce my clients to the princes. Nice. Nice. I mean, I think we've known each other for, for a period of time right now. And I have to say pound for pound, like, you know, 
you make net networking on the monetization side sexy as hell. And then the, 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 I'm going to explain like, like what the sex appeal is behind this, right? Like most people, they network, they shake hands. This is what I do. Buy for me, buy for me, buy for me. And then you have the other networkers is kind of like, I'm listening. Hmm, what do you do? But you kind of sit in, the, in the, this, this, this bubble to where you're never selling anything per se. You're always listening, but then you're always converting that into results. So I want to like talk about like, like that sex appeal of that strategy a little bit more. And you, you alluded to like JV partnerships and affiliate mm-hmm. deals. So, and again, anyone that would meet you, they'd be like, well, how do you make money shaking hands and kissing babies and kissing frogs and turn them into princes? So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a couple ways I do it. Um, one is, is I have retainer clients, my, my networking concierge clients. They actually pay me a monthly retainer to be carrying them in my head. Now I'm not going around being like, hi, I'm representing so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, I actually usually don't mention my clients' names unless I'm making the introduction for them. But in my head, I'm thinking I actually have a whiteboard up there. You can't see it, obviously, but with the names of all my clients and who they're looking for. So when I'm in a meeting, I'll glance up there and, and it will remind me, you know, this person, which of my clients need to meet them. Mm-hmm. But it's not because they're going to then sell this person something. It's because there's some JV opportunity or... There's a solution. Actually, let me show the second way I make money, which is affiliate partnerships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that's, and that's simply an arrangement whereby I make an introduction and somebody ends up purchasing. And then I get a percentage of that or a flat re- referral fee or in some cases, an introduction uh, payment. I have uh, some clients who will pay me for, for an introduction because they know what percentage of people they're able to sign up and, and who they work with. Uh, and and what it is, is about, it's about solving problems. Every conversation about going in and figure out what is your problem and how do you solve it. So if you sold, um, if you sold uh, roofing services and somebody needed their roof fixed, it wouldn't be a hard sale. In fact, they'd probably be calling you if they could. So if I met someone, you know, SA, if you needed your roof fixed right now and I knew a roofer in Atlanta then I would be doing you a favor by introducing you to this person who would be trying to sell you. They'd want to sell you, but you want to buy. Mm -hmm. So what I've done is I've built a large enough network of solutions that whatever it is somebody needs, I've got someone who can solve it, often for an exchange of money. But they're happy to spend the money because they have the need. So whatever it might be that they need, and and I'm not going to say I've got a complete complete uh, comprehensive array of you know I, i'm i'm angie's list on legs no i'm not that good yet but i've got a wide enough array that as i'm meeting people i can solve their problems and get paid to solve their problems as a win-win-win mm-hmm. person i'm meeting with wins the person i introduce them to wins and i win and other times the connection is is it's for a mutual benefit relationship neither one's going to hire the other but they might promote each other's programs. They might do a webinar swap. They might, uh, one might be a speaker at another one's summit. One might be a guest on someone's podcast. There's all kinds of different ways that people coming together can, can benefit. Hmm. Hence the title of the guy who knows a guy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you couldn't have branded yourself any better than, than stating exactly who you are and what you're doing. So with that, I mean, obviously on this journey, I mean, obviously you're, you're a magnetic person, right? I, I've been, I've been in enough meetings around you to kind of see like you attract that to you. So it kind of goes into like the rules of attraction to a certain extent, but if you could define yourself in just three to five words, what would those words be? 
I mean, connector is the word, the, the one word I think of that really describes it. Can't think of two more. Uh, but it's abundance-minded connector. Mm. Um, when I, I've really kind of defined the community I built around myself as a community of abundance-minded entrepreneurs. And I'm a connector within that. Hmm. So um, yeah, I, I think that's how I do it. Because there's so there's the scarcity mindset, which is the the idea of shrinking pie. If I get some, if you get something, I'm losing something. Hmm. The abundance mindset is if you get something, I say good for you. Now let me go get something for me. Hmm. And and I I for the most part surround myself with those kinds of people because that's where these opportunities can exist, and that's where the introduction become valuable. And it's not the the zero sum, I, I think even in some networking, especially local networking, you get kind of a zero sum style of networking of you ask someone who they're looking to meet and they tell you who their customer is. Well, I'm not going to introduce them to their customer. I don't know. Them. You know, if, if you're a realtor and I meet you at a chamber event, chamber of commerce event, and you say, well, if you know, I'm looking to list their house, send them my way. No, I don't know you. I'm not going to tell someone to trust one of the most important transactions in their life to someone I met for two minutes at a bar. Yeah, yeah. Like we don't have that relationship. But if you say, I'm looking to meet mortgage brokers because I have great relationships, we help each other. I'll introduce you to anyone I can think of <laughs> because that's a, that's an abundant connection where that connection is going to create more opportunity for everyone. And, and that that's really where the, where the value comes in. So, I mean, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm visualizing here, right. And, and I see you as, as a kid in elementary school walking around pretty much promoting and selling different things left and right. I see you, you're a hustler in elementary school. That's what I'm hoping that you're going to tell me. So what were you like as a kid? Wow. What was I like as a kid? Do I remember myself as a kid? Uh, so I was not a hustler. I did not do anything business related. Um, I was often the person in school who led the, the group. So if we were going to, if we were playing some kind of make-believe game, I was the one who said, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what's happening. Here's the world. Here's the environment. You're this, you're this, you're this. So I, I was the one who kind of called the shots and directed things. Um, so I've, I've carried that to some degree. Uh, although interestingly, I, I don't have that directorial personality so much anymore because I've, I've become much more one to sit back and listen because in my twenties, I was, let's just say not as magnetic as I am now. Mm jerk so because i was like you do this you do this you do this and 20 somethings don't respond as well to that as eight-year-olds do so when i was trying to to boss everyone around it rubbed some people the wrong way and i learned that sometimes it's good to listen a bit uh -huh. before you start telling people what to do and like make sure you're guiding them on a path they want to walk on huh Definitely interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, that, that, that kind of, I mean, obviously you're saying that you're magnetic now and I totally agree with you and I'm, I'm saying you're magnetic now, but on, on that journey of becoming magnetic, you said you were a jerk. So between being a jerk and being magnetic, it has to have a story in there of something that you had to overcome. Like what is the worst case that has happened in that time frame that you had to overcome? Well, let's go back to 2006. So, Right out of college, I opened a game store, huh. board games, role-playing games, all kinds of geeky stuff. Um, that led me the opportunity to launch a uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show cast, uh, and I was also uh, ran was a co-founder of a science fiction convention. Huh. So with the Rocky Horror Picture Show cast, I was one of three directors, and um, it was a bit of an 
autocratic structure. The directors were directors until they were removed. There was no like terms or elections. We're just kind of there. And my role was determining who went on stage each week as, as an actor in Shadowcast. And, and I, I had a system in place, so it was, it was very algorithmic. There wasn't a lot of personal judgment, but I was young and kind of aggressive and jerky. Uh, and so people had the sense that I was, you know, commanding my power. And they better not cross me because you cross him. You're not going on stage. And, and there was a lot of politicking going on because well, there's a whole lot of young and insecure people in the community. And I did a lot more talking than listening. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I thought I was just, well, I got the politics, but I got the power here and I got everything under control. And then one day I got noticed that they were activating the, the uh, leadership removal process. Now, the irony is I'd written the charter. So I was now being removed by the process that I had written, hoisted by my own petard, you could say. Mm. And my plan, I was all ready to answer all those charges and tell them all why they were so wrong. And, and how they could take it and shove it because this was, you know, I founded this cast. I'm going to lead this cast. And these people got my back. Takes two thirds to remove a, uh, a director. And I was removed. Mm. And I realized in retrospect that if I'd gone into that room and I had listened and let everyone say what they needed to say and nodded or maybe taken notes or, um, said something to acknowledge, like, I hear what you're saying. I understand why that upset you. Um, or, or even better yet, ask a question like, what would you have rather I done? I, I do in that situation. Or how would you like to see me change? Or those kinds of things that say, I admit that I have done wrong and that I have failings and I would like to improve and I'd like your help. I think I would have won that vote unanimously. But instead, I went there all like, you can't kick me out. I built this place and I've I got my power base and I'm all. And of course, when it was over at the time, I'm like, my friends turned on me and I've been betrayed. I was creating an unpleasant environment. Of course, they kicked me out. They were there for fun. You know, and we were making it like so serious and dramatic. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, that 26 year old Michael was kind of a jerk. But I. In retrospect, I learned that that had I had I been humble and had I listened to what people's concerns were uh, and been open to because I, I was open to learning, but I wasn't willing to be vulnerable to everyone. Huh. And so even my way of trying to learn, someone would bring something to me and I'd be like, well, who said that? Now I'm saying who said that because I want the details because I can't fix something if I don't know what I'm doing. But it certainly sounded a lot like, all right, you better tell me who that was because I'm going to have words with them, which uh, maybe is not the best way to to uh, lead to self-improvement. So I think the next time you tell that story, you should be wearing a black turtleneck and almost identical to Steve Jobs. That's what it sounded like. Like you came up like Steve to a little bit, right? They kicked you out your own your own corporation. You mm-hmm. were kind of like headstrong and, and, and everything else that Steve was is kind of what you're mm-hmm. thinking is yourself to be. So like going into like, you know, obviously being that separate from your team or that's separate from your core right now what you're doing you're all about partnerships you're all about mm-hmm. building community and, and interconnecting so taking that story and then jumping into where you are right now how do you manage so many different partnerships at the same time so, so in terms of actual partnerships, i probably have 
maybe about 12 or 14 actual active partnerships. Let's stop uh, right so there. So a lot of most people say partnerships. I have one partnership. I have two. You just said a dozen partnerships. So I, I, I digress. Continue. Yep. But, but, but you know, partnerships, that's like four of them are actual full-on clients and the rest are affiliate arrangements mm-hmm. that are more inactive. So they're pretty much stored in a spreadsheet and they are activatable. So they're not, they're not like active partnerships. They're, they're more, if I send someone over, you're going to give me 20%, that kind of thing. Um, but even, you know, including those, it's, it's, not not more than definitely less than 20. So um and and one thing I always emphasize to people who who look at this and and say, because there's two reasons why people tell me they can't network. They're not extroverted enough, uh, or they're not or they're not organized enough. So like I'm not organized, I can't remember names, whatnot. I got ADHD. I can't remember names. I mean, if I know someone, I'll remember their name. But if I meet someone, I don't remember. If I don't take notes when I first meet someone on that first Zoom call. It's like I never met them in the first place, <laughs> but I take the notes. Um, I keep a spreadsheet of all the introductions I make. But what I've learned is because I know I don't have the great memory, when I'm in the meeting, I'm looking for what value can I provide right now? And then I've got my spreadsheet of introductions and I think, okay, hey, you should meet ba 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 and ba. I write those names on the spreadsheet. And then when I next have some time, I send those email connections. And I will have people come back to me, and this happened for years. I'd have people come back to me and, and you know, reach out to me on Facebook or email or whatever and be like, thank you so much for getting me that job. It was working out so well. You changed my life. And, and I'm like, I love you, random citizen. <laughs> because, you know, I literally do not remember this person. Mm. I changed their life with an introduction. I don't remember them. Uh, which, you know, is not something I aspire to. It's just the way it is. Because I try to help everyone I meet. And in doing that, I find the value during the course of the meeting. They come out better for it. I've created some good karma and some good relations. I, if I can connect them to a client that wants to meet them, I do that. That serves my clients. And then I go on. And now some of these people, I say, we got to talk more. I got to get you on my podcast. I got to, I kind of try to create ecosystems mm-hmm. to, to bring them back into and keep them connected. But a lot, it's a matter of recognizing my own limitations in terms of memory and organization. So I just try to make the most of that meeting while I'm in there to create that value and then sort of let the universe tend to the rest of it. Nice, nice. So, I mean, have you ever heard of or or thought about adapting and using like the memory palace method? I'm not familiar with the memory palace method. Yeah. So when you get a chance, you probably definitely want to look it up. But the memory palace is, is, is something that, you know, you could do it at crazy scale to where you can remember 300 names on the wall or you can do it to kind of make things easy to memorize who you're networking with and the way it works is essentially prime example if i'm going to the office that office then becomes the memory palace when i walk in the door i'm going to associate the first person i meet which could be the secretary and that secretary maybe her name may remind me of a famous person so instead of me seeing the secretary i'll see the famous person Mm. and then later on you can use numbers, you can use colors, you can use shapes, and you're associating the characteristics of that person to those shapes and colors. An example of that is like my neighbor, his name is Romain. So every time I try to remember his name, I go to my memory palace inside of the supermarket and I go to Romain Lettuce. And that's how I remember his name by default. So you can just do these little things to where you're telling these stories in your mind and then the pictures will pop up to remember who you're speaking to a lot easier. So hopefully hmm. that, I would say look into that. Maybe that'll yeah, help. Look into that, yeah. 
Yeah. And of course, one of the one of the challenges I find with the, the upside with with that everything being virtual is I can take notes on every meeting, and mm-hmm. it's not it's not like I'm awkwardly there with a notebook. It's they don't even realize I'm doing it. It's just on the other side of my screen. Uh, the downside is there's no visual cues, so it's not like I remember their office because there's no office. There's just them in a box. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe they have a background that's memorable and sometimes they don't the background is like a room uh i actually had that happen there's someone i met we had a conversation and then i started another event i didn't recognize her but i recognized the room behind her because as we were talking i was no there's there was an actual room and so there are like different things in it i know there's a spiral staircase and my eyes were drawn to that i'm like oh it's a spiral staircase again oh and the woman's in front of it look at that um but yeah, there's, there's less of those memory cues. That that's one of the challenges. Our brains aren't. Yeah, you know, while I've, I've adapted Zoom really well, our brains aren't built for it. So some of the cues you're used to, you don't have because I'm always in this same chair. I'm always looking at this same screen. <laughs> that's crazy. So I mean, just to dive back into partnerships a little bit, and I mean, I think you're going to be a really good person to answer this question because a lot of times people they'll hear partnerships and they'll hear numbers. They may hear twenty percent, thirty percent, sixty percent, eighty percent, whatever it is, and they'll just accept that for face value and they'll walk away. So, have you had an opportunity to negotiate your your partnership rates? And if you have, like, what's a good tip to kind of help someone understand like how to negotiate that? Uh, so generally, I haven't negotiated them because most people have set you know set what they are, and that's that's what they are. Um, something to be aware of is that uh, oftentimes affiliate partnership rates are you know, something like 40-50% is common for things that don't have hard costs. Mm-hmm. So a VIP upgrade for a summit, for example, you get someone to the summit, they buy the ticket. It doesn't cost the host anything to give the digital products that are the VIP ticket. That'll often be 40-50%. Whereas something that does have hard costs, such as a coaching program, or um, or uh, something that something's got mailed out or a, an in-person event. Well, might more like 10 or 20%. But it's, it's more a matter of think about what that's going to be and if that makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, to think about how many people you can credibly get. And I don't necessarily have, have math for it because there's a number of different ratios. Yep. They go, you know, if you send, you send so many emails and a certain percentage of those emails will open it and a certain percentage of them will click on it. A certain percentage of them will convert to go to the event, and a certain percentage of them will convert to buy. So that's a whole bunch of numbers get multiplied together to figure it out. Um, but you know, it, it, you just kind of look at it and see if it makes sense. But the bigger thing to watch for is, does the partner know what they're doing? Huh. Um, well, no. First, is the thing that they do something that you want to endorse? Um, and and also remember, you're, you're endorsing the first degree of it. So if, if somebody's running a webinar and you're inviting people to go to the webinar, you're not endorsing the program. Uh, well, webinars are more of a sales thing. But you know, if someone's running a summit mm-hmm. and then you know at the summit they're going to be selling their, their $10,000 high ticket coaching program, you're not endorsing the high ticket coaching program. You're endorsing the summit. Mm-hmm. So if you believe the summit is something people should go to, send people to the summit. And if it's something you want people to go to, then you should promote it. If the money's good, but the summit, eh, I don't know if it's really worth it, don't promote it. Never promote something you don't believe in. Never refer something you don't believe in, no matter how much money they're giving you. Because your integrity, there's no amount of money worth your integrity. Huh. 
So that, that's that's one of the, the crucial things. But then beyond that, if you promote it, if you are doing this as part of your business, will you get paid? So can they close? Is it something people want to buy? If they do close, are their systems good enough so that they'll actually pay you? Huh. Will you have to chase down people you send? Be like, hey, did you buy that? Because I haven't gotten anything. You know, will, will they keep track of it? Um, will they make it easy for you? Because huh. a good partner should be writing the swipe copy. They should have a landing page. They should, you know, if, if somebody says, if somebody's got even a, you know, a good program and they say, yeah, just email it to me, you know, just send, send over an email. I might make an email introduction in the same way I'd introduce anyone else. But if someone's like, oh, yeah, send to my web page and tell them to mention you. Huh. If it's a perfect fit, I'll make the introduction because I'd make the introduction no matter what. If not, they're not someone I'm going to be actively seeking out because if I'm taking my time and energy to be referring someone because it's part of my business, I don't want to have to then spend more time and energy chasing it down and being like, oh, did you hear from SA? He went to your website. I think he may have bought the program. I haven't heard from you. What happened? So, you know, if you're if you're looking for an affiliate partner, then then look for one who's who's got their stuff together, uh -huh. uh, and and can give you an affiliate link or can give you something um, so that it it's tracked itself um, and can give you the copy. You know, if if they just give you a link and say, yeah, just just uh, promote something. I mean, if you're really excited about it, sure. But it's a really bad strategy to ask your affiliates to write their own copy. That's going to, uh, that is not going to get really good, uh, good success rates. Yeah, I think, I think what you said is golden. I mean, you pretty much just gave like a live checklist to kind of affiliate marketing. And, and what you said was essentially one, you have to be able to track it. Like if you can't track it, then why are you even doing it? Right. And then mm -hmm. two, on top of that, letting them have the resources to give you what you need, like the marketing material. In your case, you were saying the swipe pages or any other art logos and anything else. And mm -hmm. then last but not least, it has to be a product that, that you believe in. And so those are like the three core things. And if those three are checks, then by all means, you should become a partner with that yep. or an affiliate that product. So, I mean, obviously, like you're, I should change your not your name from like the guy to the wise guy who knows a wise guy at this point, right? <laughs> so, like, where on your journey in like the past 20, 30, 15 years did you become who you are? And then you talked about being a jerk and you talked about being magnetic now, but talk about like that transition. When and where did that transition happen? So, so really, the 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 guy who knows a guy who sits before you now um, is a product of the last twenty four months. Hmm. Uh, th there, there was there was a period of kind of my my forty years in the desert, so to speak, hmm. of learning from and digesting what I learned in my twenties from that that uh, Rocky Horror experience, um, and a lot of kind of learning. You know, I learned as much in those ten years as I learned in the last ten months. Um, because once I went online, I was able to take the general knowledge about networking and what being a connector is, and then supercharge it, partly because I met over a thousand different entrepreneurs and learned something from most of them. So it was this 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 hero's journey of you know going from place to place and and the next wise man would teach me the next nugget of knowledge, the next wise man. And I used my podcast for that. Um last summer I had about 40 or so interviews that I did where I brought on successful people. And I said, how'd you do it? Mm -hmm. What's your story? Let me learn from you. Uh, and the great thing about the podcast is recorded. So I go back and listen to it again. 
because I'd listen to the podcast again and be like, was I there when he said that? Because I don't remember this, but this is this is gold right here. So I learned from all these people, but every, but it's been a a very accelerated journey. And, and a lot of it's been putting things together. Like I had all those pieces, but it's figuring out how to put them together over the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and some of the key thing has been finding people, you know, my niche is that I make connections. So I find people who, have my all you know, my clients are seven, eight figure entrepreneurs, and I can provide great value to them because I'm running around meeting all these people that they don't have time to, you know, they might charge a thousand bucks an hour as a coach. They don't have time to do 25 one-to-ones a week. Mm-hmm. They can do four with the right people. That makes sense, but they can't do 25 with everyone who wanders by and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I discovered that I can plug myself into that space. That's kind of the, the, the final thing. I, I spent years and years learning how to provide value to others, getting people jobs, connecting them with partners, connecting them with clients, connecting them with vendors. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, driving Uber to pay my bills. I'm the most most connected and most loved Uber driver in town. And so the last piece of that puzzle was when somebody told me people will pay for introductions. Hmm. And I'm like, oh. I don't have to create a course. I don't need to create a high ticket offer. I don't need to, uh, you know, create a thing. I can just sell the thing I'm already doing. Mm-hmm. The value I'm already creating. I can just ask people to pay me for it, and they're happy to do it. That's actually one of the criteria when I when I do sign a networking concierge client. My sales process is is kind of the reverse of the typical sales process because usually the sales process is let me tell you how great it is. And then you tell me why you don't want it. And I tell you all the reasons that's wrong and I really do want it. My approach is I tell you what I do. I tell you what it costs. And if you have no objections, we talk a little bit more for me to determine if I want to work with you. And if so, I send you the link where you can click the button and put your credit card in. And if if somebody's like, I I don't really know. I'm not sure if that makes sense. And I'm like, well, I'm sure it doesn't. So uh, what else can we talk about? I, I don't I don't overcome objections because that starts a relationship wrong. I want someone who looks at what I do and says that's valuable and I want it. Huh. And if it's if they're not if it's what was the expression if it's not a hell yes it's a hell no. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I think just about listening to you. I mean, obviously, you've learned how to seize the opportunity. I mean, you've always been kind of a guy that had connections and communicated. Mm-hmm. And you said until someone said that someone would pay essentially for these referrals or for these connections, you heard the opportunity. And I'm talking to the entrepreneur that's listening right now. If you're hearing these opportunities and you're not like taking advantage of them or you're not paying attention, if you're not listening to the universe, then you're mm-hmm. missing out on opportunities. Because I don't think you would have been who you are, where you are and doing what you're doing if you did not say, hmm, Interesting. And then yeah. jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, uh, oh, got it right here. So in Bob Berg's book, The Go Giver, which happens to be next to my desk, one of the, the rules he has is that the money you make is based on the value you create. Mm-hmm. Um, but then another important part of that is accepting compensation. So, uh, my friend, uh, Chris Salem, he says, give without expectation and receive without resistance. Mm-hmm. so you know when when you're there you can help someone out help them and then if somebody wants to pay you take it as, as somebody pointed out you know the, the giving is a two-part transaction mm-hmm. both people gain from that but if i were to come and try to give you a birthday present 
And you were like, no, I don't take birthday presents. I'm not going to take that from you. Well, now I'm standing here holding a birthday present. It's not my box, but it's not your box. Like, we're both worse off because I have because you have not accepted the gift. Mm. So same thing. A lot of people out there, they're not, you know, you, some of those people out there may have clients willing to pay them. They want to pay them. They, they're building this moral debt if you're helping them for free or helping them for not enough. And your, your client wants to discharge that debt. They're feeling bad and you're not giving them the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So they're building up this like awkward sense of, of imbalance because you're not giving them the opportunity to, to, to make it right for them. It's definitely interesting philosophy for sure. And it kind of just, I want to touch back on, I mean, obviously going back to you as a child, like, like kind of like your upbringing a little bit. And like, mm-hmm. obviously you've always had a sense of entrepreneurism, but you were not utilizing it until you got older. So if you can go back in time and kind of pinpoint, you know, was it a parent? Was it a, a, like a family member mm-hmm. that you were kind of picking up some of this entrepreneurial insight savviness from over the years, who would you kind of point that finger at? Uh, actually, it was it was a, a number of family members. Um, so my my uncle was an entrepreneur, and he was a uh, a marketing guy, and he's he's kind of the, the traditional. It was the eighties, nineties, you know, traditional entrepreneur. He had a he had his own office, and and he was like the creative type, you know, marketing artist. Uh, my grandfather was a radio airtime salesman, and by the time I knew him, he owned seven radio stations. So, you know, he, he taught me that sales is is the the path to opportunity because it was his path to opportunity. He came back from World War II, became a radio airtime salesman, and from there built himself up to sales manager, general manager, station broker, station owner. Um, my father owned a business. I would describe him as a business owner, not an entrepreneur. Mm. Uh, my grandfather's an entrepreneur. He was looking for opportunities. He was always getting creative. My, the business owner is a person who the way to do the thing they need to do is by owning a business, but given the choice, they'd work for someone else if they could do the same thing. Mm. that my, my father was more like that. He, he taught people special needs to drive. And he, that was his passion, his mission. He wanted to do it and he couldn't do it working for someone else because nobody else would do it right. Uh, so he had to build his own business. And he was a, a fantastic instructor and incredibly, um, yeah, he, he finally retired, uh, I think a year or two ago hmm. uh, in his seventies because, and the reason he wouldn't retire is he's like, but who's going to do the work? Not, not like the business, but like there's people who still need to be trained. Who's going to help them? Um, but so, so he was an entrepreneur. And I mean, even my, my other grandfather is a minister, mm. um, but that's still not your typical office job. So I don't think there was – I'm not sure there was anyone in my family who – like I, I had no examples of people who went to an office nine to five. Um, so now I'm thinking about it, like, of course, I don't know how to go – I've – I don't think I've ever had a nine to five office job except in like high school when I was an intern for the summer. Um, so of course I didn't go nine to five office job because I never saw anyone else do it. Um, and naturally when I, you know, when I graduated college, I started looking for jobs, couldn't find one. And rather than plug away at finding one, like, you know, jobs are kind of stupid anyway. I'll just make one. Huh. I'll just, uh, yeah. you know, raise some money for my family and open a store, which in retrospect, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Hmm. Never, I five years that store was in business, never made a profit. It's crazy. Um, well, I, I think I, it was part of the, the the journey, right? It was part of the learning curve to get you to yes. where you are currently, for sure. I, I think of that as my master's degree. 
yeah. My postgraduate education costs as much as a master's degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say MBA by fire for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that, that kind of leads me to like, you know, obviously you are raised 100% by entrepreneurs. I mean, like you have no nine to fivers whatsoever. So mm -hmm. that kind of brings me to my next question is like, with that type of upbringing and that type of background, like how do you currently manage like your work life with your family life if essentially you were raised by wolves, right? Um. Well, so the nice thing is because I work from home. Uh, so, so my wife has a has a nine to five job. Although I'm working diligently to get her something better now that I have connections in in this wider world, because um, she'd be a phenomenal executive assistant. Um, but we we've had this dynamic for a while that she's got the regular job with the benefits, and I've and I'm I'm throwing the hail marys, hmm. and at this point, like at this point, I look like a pretty good bet. Three years ago, I did not look like the good bet. Uh, there were definitely periods of time where one might look at that and be like, so you're going to get a real job at some point? And in fact, I kept thinking I was settling for a real job. When I moved to this area, I had this like consulting business idea. It was a half-baked kind of thing. Then, okay, I'll go a real job. I, I got a job at a car dealership. Like That's a real job, W-2 benefits. But it's commission-based. So... It didn't actually pay really well. So I went to a different car dealership and that didn't pay really well either. Uh, so I went to a series of jobs, but they were all like commission-based jobs and because um, apparently I can't even find corporate jobs. Hmm. And, and, and the part of the realization was realizing I'm not meant for that nine to five stable corporate job. Uh, and when I was looking for it, I failed to find it. Mm. And the more I went my way, because one of the one of the things that the the pandemic did for me was it broke me loose of of trying to have a job. The last thing I had before the pandemic, I was publishing community magazine. It was 1099, which meant it was straight commission, but it was someone else's model. I was following their system and it was stable-ish, um, stable-ish lower than I needed to make, but you know, stable-ish. And when that went away, because 75% of my sales came from in-person networking, mm. when that became non-tenable, and around December of 2020, I realized I needed to do something to get some money coming in and started driving DoorDash. At that point, I realized like I'm full into entrepre entrepreneur. I'm doing my thing now. Now, my thing may mean DoorDash and Uber to pay the bills for 10 years while I figure out where my business monetization comes from. Thank God it was 10 months, not 10 years. But it, but I was ready for that. I said, if I make my living driving Uber three days a week, which is what I needed, and the rest of the time I'm giving away coaching and helping people out and helping them find jobs, make their lives better, I'm okay with that. That's an okay life. I can, I can, I'm okay with that. Now, if it went long term, I'd need to shift my schedule and not work seven days a week. But but I kind of got comfortable with, you know, I'm going to stop trying to get a job. I'm going to stop trying to go the safe path because the safe path is not safe for me. Mm. Every time I tried to go the safe path, a rock fell on my head. You know, when I'm traveling through the through the, the haunted swamp, nothing bad happens. When I try to walk on the paved road, a tree falls on me. So I'm not meant to walk on the paved road. So I, I started following my own path, just seeing where it went, following that. And that's once I kind of embraced who I am, that I'm, I'm not an employee, can't be. Once I embraced that, I started to find that opportunity. Um, and, but, 
but you know, so in order to segregate, because I do work from home, and as I was saying, the benefit is our daughter gets sick and has to stay home. Well, I'm home anyway. Mm-hmm. So my wife does not take a day off. If she needs to go to the, the doctor, I can adjust my schedule around that. Um, I can walk her to the bus almost every morning because I set my schedule. So it, it is nice having that flexibility of having a parent working from home and a parent at the office. Um, but I do also try to segregate my time. You know, I try to stop stop working at a certain time. Um, I try to balance it, block out time intentionally to spend with family. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, I control my schedule to a degree, mm-hmm. I, but I need to be intentional about it. And because of the way my schedule fills up, I need to be intentional in advance. I need to plan ahead. This is when I'm going to do this. This is when I'm going to do that to make sure that, uh, you know, I, my, I could easily schedule into the evenings, easily schedule in the weekends. It could just become this octopus that spreads over everything. But I, I'm cognizant of making sure I have time and finding a little time. Like uh, we finally put a TV curfew on our daughter so she can't watch TV in the morning. And so now in the morning, instead of her sitting there watching YouTube like a zombie every morning, she gets up, we talk, we have breakfast together. Um, she, I, I, I juice in the morning. She's learned how to use the juicer because you know, she's seven. She loves helping. So she made my breakfast and her breakfast this morning. So it's finding those little moments. Um, and in the future, when she gets older, what I look forward to doing is if I get a speaking gig somewhere, bringing her with me, you know, having her work the table, sell the books, whatever it is, because who could resist like the 13 year old daughter sitting at the table, um, taking, you know, to, taking the credit cards and selling the books and, and especially once I teach her, you know, teach her some of my skills and, and she's like, do you want his other book too? upsell yeah <laughs> who can say no to that? that that's how the girl scouts makes all their money pretty much yeah you're definitely right i mean i think you, you led me into a, a decent direction i mean earlier you brought up the book giver um i'm looking at your screen and you're saying author you're talking about your daughter selling books and, and to, to tell you the truth i mean in like my first book that's what i did i had my son at the table and he was selling books and you're definitely right having a kid that understands how to plug numbers in and take credit cards and, and mm-hmm. promote books you just get sales by default so my next question is, is more of a multiple question the first part is like in addition to the giver, like what other books did you read like on your journey that helped you get to where you are right now? Like what, like what helped you go from being an asshole to the guy that knows a guy? Um, so what, so what's interesting is I, I knew a lot of the concepts. I didn't realize I wasn't executing on them. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I mean, I, I listened to, to Zig Ziglar CDs and Tony, uh, uh, Brian Tracy, um, a few others like that. Uh, I got about 20, close to 20 years ago now. Wow. Um, I got a copy of Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, mm. which is the first networking book I read. Um, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People. I learned a lot from that. Didn't execute on it for many years, but I learned a lot from it. Uh, so I think I read that. I think I may have read it in college. Mm. And so I thought I was doing it. Was it? Thought I was doing it. <laughs> Just took life to, to smack me awake. Um, Let's see some of the other other great books I have learned from. Um, I'll take it you're looking at your bookcase right now. I'm looking at my bookcase. Yeah. Um, so uh, so someone gave me a copy of Ask Gary Vee, um, mm-hmm. which is it basically transcripts from his his episodes. I'd never heard of him before, and I and at the time I read him like this is brilliant. Um, so there was you know a lot that I learned from uh, you know a lot that I learned from there. 
Um, and uh, see, that there's a, what's his name? Herb, Herb Cohen. He wrote books on negotiation, which are pretty fascinating. Nice. Um, and the audiobooks are great because he's got this like, this Brooklyn lawyer kind of accent. Um, so, you know, there's some books you just need to listen to read by the author, and mm. that is one of them. Um, so, that was good. Yeah, yeah, I listened to a lot of audiobooks um, over the years that kind of brought me to this point. And then recently, I've I read uh, The Four Agreements. Okay. Which is a very, very powerful book. Um, and the great thing about it is you read it, because some books you read it and you're like, okay, what did I learn from that book? Because there's so many little nuanced things. The Four Agreements, it's four agreements. So once you've read the book, you just look up the four agreements again mm-hmm. and you remember all the, the it's agreement and then explanation. Agreement, explanation. Um, so once you understand the explanation, you can just shorthand it into the four agreements. So it's a very well written book nice. uh, along those lines. So can you oh. continue down that path of like books? I mean, obviously you have author next to, to, to your name on the left-hand side mm-hmm. of the screen. So, I mean, what books have you had opportunities to author? Uh, I have written one book. It only takes one book to be an author, mm-hmm. which is The Guy Who Knows a Guy. Um, and part of the reason I wrote this book was at the time I wanted to be able to put that on my business card. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, I had all these years of marketing experience across different areas I'd run uh, I'd run events, I'd owned uh, a retail store, uh, I'd worked with all kinds of different people. And so even then, I knew an above average amount about marketing. But at the time, I was a salesman for a printing company. Hmm. So they just saw me as you know the business card salesman, especially because the strategy I was required to use, I had to bring in 10 cold leads a day. So there wasn't time to build relationships and like do what you actually need to do to sell printing. So... People just saw me as the guy who would sell, you know, quote their business cards. And I'm like, but I have all this knowledge. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Go give me some business cards. Get out of here, kid. Like, if I wrote a book, I'd be an author, not a business card salesman. <laughs> Never found out if this was true because just before I finished the book, I got hired as a marketing manager from a start by a startup. And my next job after that, my title is publisher. So I don't know what author did for me. No, but it, but just having the title of author is valuable because you know it gets you on podcasts, it gets you on summits, it gets you on. On stages, and and I, I had a friend who, um, she was a writing coach who helped people write their book, mm-hmm. because at the time it was called Create Space. Now it's Kindle Direct Publishing. Um, she said, if you're if you have a business, you should be able to write 24 pages about it, and 24 pages is a minimum to write a book. And if you can't write 24 pages, you shouldn't have a business. Mm-hmm. So everyone should write a book, write your 24 pages or more, get it published on Create Space, and now be an author. Because it gives you that level of authority for for writing that, and it's not like the old days where you had to write three hundred pages and get published by a publisher. True. Uh, and and for those who are thinking like, oh, I don't know how to do layout, not I need to hire net. Like, I literally did it in Google Drive, in the 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 Word docs, whatever they call that portion of it, the Google Google Word thing. I set the dimensions to the right size. You can do page numbers with Google. Export as PDF, upload to Kindle. And that, yeah, Google Drive is what I use for the software. Hmm. So, I mean, that so. kind of leads me into another thing. I mean, obviously, you're, you're a tech-savvy guy, right? So, I mean, Google, Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Drive is one. Mm-hmm. What other tools do you use that you wouldn't be able to do what you do without having access to? Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, Google Drive is, is a big one um, and the whole Google ecosystem. Um, Calendly is mm-hmm. crucial. 
I'm I'm always amazed when someone is networking online and they don't have an appointment setting software. Because uh, if, if you're meeting there, you've got 10 seconds in the chat to connect with someone. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to be like, oh, how about Monday at three? How about that? Meeting ended. <laughs> Game over. So, you know, here's my link. Boom. Um, yes, Calendly is key. Um, my podcast I now have on Captivate, um, which moving over to Captivate has been game changing. I was on Libsyn before and it took me nearly, it took like 45 minutes to get an episode up. And now in Captivate, it takes me seven minutes hmm. to get an episode. And um, that's 19 bucks a month. And I use Audacity, which is free to do the post-production and Zencaster, which can also be free to do the online interviews. Nice. So I can put together a podcast for 19 bucks a month and you can use anchor.fm if you want to do it for free. So you can do a podcast of fairly decent quality for $0 a month, which is, I think most people can afford that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say if you're going to start, start somewhere and then build and grow and figure out your systems from there and make it work for you in the long run. So definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. no one judges you on that on the first embarrassing podcast. Well, I mean, the reality is, is like, who's listening to the first podcast, right? I mean, it's usually when you get to like podcast 50 or 60 is when they're like, oh, let's go see what they were talking about in episode one. And then they'll go back. Yep. Well, when I, like my first podcast was called Michael's Motivation, hmm. um, which probably no one listens to. It's still up because it was on Anchor. So I think it's still out there. But then the guy who knows the guy was the next podcast hmm. that was like my real podcast. But still, I, I don't think episode one's even up. I think in one of the transitions, I lost the first six episodes. Hmm. Um, but, but yeah, no, you, it's, it's totally just start doing it. And, you know, I, as, uh, as Kimberly Crow, I think it's Kimberly Crow says, if you're not embarrassed by the first, by your first episode, you started too late. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think another thing that, that, that you're doing as well too, is like your Friday, your Friday kind of spinoffs with mm. like four interviews at the same time, kind of podcast. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that, that's part of a larger strategy. Um, so so I ran into a problem. So it's funny. I, I was invited once to a, uh, a, a boot camp or a challenge, a fill your calendar challenge. I'm like, fill your calendar? I don't need to fill my calendar. I need to empty my calendar. I'm booking out three weeks all the time. That's easy. So when you do a lot of networking, you get a lot of one-to-ones. Each one takes half an hour, an hour. Your calendar's full. Mm-hmm. So then what? So I didn't want to be the guy. So I reached out to some people. Uh, and I'd say, yeah, I'd like to connect. I think there might be potential, but I couldn't say exactly what it was. And I had a few people like, yeah, I don't do those getting to know you calls. Mm. You know, if you got something to talk about, okay, but I don't do getting to know you calls. Well, I don't know what to talk about because I don't know you. <laughs> like, I can't propose an opportunity because I don't have one thing. I have everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never want to be the person who said, I don't have time for one-to-ones if, if we don't know what we're talking because then I'd miss that opportunity. But I also didn't want to be the guy who did nothing but one-to-ones. So I came up with my with an open virtual coffee, which actually you go to guy knows a guy.com. It's a link there. Come to my open virtual coffee, 10 a.m. every Friday, Eastern time. Uh, it's it's an open Zoom room, and whoever shows up, shows up. So I can put that link out to anyone who wants to come. And sometimes I have nothing to talk to either of the people about, but they need to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So connections happen uh, that way. Similarly, in my podcast, everybody wants to be on the podcast. So, but... But especially when I was on Libsyn, it took me an hour to post-produce. Well, I needed to limit who would be on it. I needed to focus so I could get listeners. Um, so I couldn't let everyone up. I didn't want to be like, no, you don't fit my podcast, buddy. Get out of here. I wanted to have some way to say yes. So both those, the Open Virtual Coffee and the Power Lunch podcast, 
are built to be that place where I can be open. I can accept, I can receive without resistance from the universe. So the, the way the, the virtual, um, the way the power lunch works is anyone who I find interesting enough that I'd want to be in a room with them for an hour, um, which tends to be a lot of the people I run into. I, I run in pretty good circles. They can sign up. They tell me what Fridays they're available. And then periodically I go through and assign people to dates they're available based on what's open. Uh, and I, I book it by serendipity. I, I like to say serendipity is my producer. So there is no strategy as to who goes on which show. It's who's free when. And it has not failed me yet. Hmm. Every episode has been great. It's, it's some episodes, one person shows up. Three people, no show. Sometimes five people show up because somebody comes on the wrong week. Um, but, you know, interesting things happen. I meet interesting people. They meet each other. Um, you know, we don't have a million downloads. But the, the primary value is they meet each other. They make connections. Yeah. I get to have a four-way one-to-one that also goes out and becomes content. Uh, and then on top of that, somebody might see it. Yeah. Somebody might be Googling something and searching for their name, and and up they come. Yeah. Uh, and they find it on, on YouTube, and they, they meet me. They meet one of the other guests. Who knows what's going to happen? Good things happen when good yeah. people come together. So it's, the, the idea of both of those was to create a, a pressure valve on – both my one-to-one calendar and my podcast calendar, but to remain open to receiving those connections and those those invitations from the universe. Um, and, and now with my main podcast, I'm actually uh, increasing the cadence to three episodes a week, which Captivate makes that possible to some degree because it's much easier to put out episodes. But I'm shifting time from non-recorded one-to-ones to recorded one-to-ones. Huh. That's all a podcast really is. It's recorded one-to-one. Yeah. So... So now I can, um, you know, create more content, get more people on there, make more invitations, make more connections, um, but at the same time, create more to put out in the universe where somebody might come across it. And and I'm pretty sure the algorithm is like volume. I yeah, think so. Yeah, more episodes you put out, the the more Apple Podcast likes it. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, like the the four by four format is is it's phenomenal in the sense that you know, to your point, doing one offs are, are okay. But how do you kind of really convert a one off if somebody doesn't want to do a one off, and then you want mm-hmm. to figure out who they are? So putting four people in a room, and are you cabinet at four, or is it kind of like six people could show up, and all six people are going to be on that same episode? Um, I schedule four people because more than four, it tends to get um, it tends to get messier. There's more of that people talking over each other. And say, oh, sorry. Oh, you go ahead. Oh. Mm-hmm. I find that four is a good three. Three or four is a good balance, um, and gives everyone the chance to talk and have a good conversation. Um, nice. But that doesn't mean that sometimes people don't. Um, I, I had one week where where um, somebody mixed up the date because I sent out an email a week in advance and an email the week of. So she got the week in advance email and said, "Oh, I haven't gotten the link yet for for Streamyard," huh. and. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't check the, the list. And I'm like, okay, cool, here's your link. And she showed up. And then I checked the spreadsheet afterwards. I'm like, you were booked for next week. But someone else had no-showed. So we still had four guests. Huh. And then she's like, so I was booked for next week. So can I still come? I was like, I guess so. So she yeah. got to be on the show two weeks in a row. Because That's interesting. So, I mean, how do you recycle? Let's say if you have someone that's been on the show and they just keep resubmitting it, I mean, are you just going to keep pushing them out or are you going to give them the opportunity to to reoccur? So, so I I say it is the uh, theme park ride model. Hmm. Um, Once you have been on the ride, you can get back in line. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And currently we're booking out to mid-May, I think. So it's it's, uh, 
mid-March as we record this. Um, and I'm sure that will just that get longer and longer and longer because people keep reapplying who were on the show because they have a good time. And then new people keep applying. So um, compounding effect. Yep. Yep. So I expect that we will gain more than we than we lose, but that's fine because then it creates demand. You know, when people realize that the next available date is three months away, they're like, oh, I better get on here. I better show up. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a hell of a model. So I mean, that kind of leads me into like my like my, my closing question, right? It would be like final words of wisdom for. It's kind of difficult to kind of pinpoint like who you're talking to per se, right? Because I mean, in one sense, you're like motivating somebody. In the other sense, you're a really good connector. On the other aspect of it, you're really talking to people that are making seven, eight figures, and then you're you're talking about your services to them. So I'm going to leave it up to you to pick which one of these communities you want to leave this message to. But in that communication device, if that person is listening to you for the first time and they're hearing what you're saying and they're like, okay, this guy, I love what he's saying. I love his communication. I love his energy. What words of wisdom would you give them to continue doing what they're doing to move forward in progress? Okay. Uh, well, I, I would like to share some words and a gift, if I may. Mm -hmm. So the the words um, is is one of my go-to lessons, It's um, which is that you can become a connector as soon as you decide to become a connector. Being a connector is not how big your Rolodex is. It's when you set your mindset of, I'm going to make connections for the people I meet. Hmm. That's how you grow your network. That's how... That's what I started with, and that's how I got where I am now. Um, and if people want to learn more about it, if they go to guyodosaguy.com, at the top, they can put in their email address, and they will get by email an ebook of my book, which I've never actually read an entire ebook in my life. I've tried, but I can't do it, which is why I have recorded my book as an audio book, because I listen to a lot of those. So if you put your email in, you'll get an audio book, an MP3 of The Guy Who Knows the Guy, um, no cost or obligation. Um, but then you can learn a bit more of those, those strategies and ideas. And uh, I, on my list of things to do is to write the sequel to that, which is the, the internet version. You know, the guy who knows a guy goes online, but I'm a little busy right now. Um, I have written the first like four pages of it. So I'm on my way. But a lot of the universal concepts about how to connect with people, the mindset, whatnot is in the original book. And I think people get a lot out of it if they take a listen. Nice. So continue with that. I mean, how do they find you on, on social media? Oh. Uh, so if they, if you go to guy knows a guy.com, um, all the way at the bottom are links to my social media. Uh, if you search for, um, I'm on, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok. This is all I'm active. I'm on Twitter, but I don't, not active there. Um, and I'm not on Instagram. It's a funny story. If you ever, uh, next time you do a one-to-one -one with me, ask me why I'm not on Instagram. It's because they won't let me be there. Oh man. So th that leads us to like the bonus round. And I'm almost um, hinting at probably asking you that question now, but going back to your gaming days and having a mm -hmm. gaming store. So obviously you're very familiar with like he heroes in general. So mm -hmm. if you could be a superhero. Who would it be and why? Ooh, superhero. Okay. Um, and, and you could use board game characters if you would like. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was, um, in, back in those, because I, I, mean, I, I was still a connector back then, and still you know a leader. I built a store, I built a community, and led it. Um, people said that I was a um, that, that I, I was I was the bard of the party back then. Um, and, and in fourth edition D anD D, they had I think it was a war leader was the name of it, um, which is basically like a bard is a person who inspired and like gave bonuses to everyone around them. Um, and they weren't a strong character themselves, but they made everyone else around them a stronger character. So, 
uh, I think I think War Leader is the uh, is the D and D class that only existed for, for for fourth edition. They didn't have it in third. They didn't keep it in fifth, but they did have it in fourth. Um, I so think for the people that don't know what D and D is, why don't you just go ahead and and, and, and spell that abbreviation out for them, right? Uh, Dungeon Dragon is Dungeon and Dragons. It's the the world's most popular role playing game. Nice, nice. All right, so I got another one for you, uh, and I kind of figured you was gonna go with some kind of board game, so <laughs> that makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you could spend twenty four hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for those twenty four hours, who would it be, and why? So they'd be alive when I'm with them, right? Technically, yes. Okay, so I'm not spending like twenty four hours with with their with a dead body. No. <laughs> dead body I won't work as well. I, I'm going alive. I'm going someone alive there. Um, oh, that's an interesting question. Who who would? Uh, I, I'm going to go with, with one that seems kind of obvious, um, but um, I'm thinking I go with Tony Robbins because hmm. I've found that coaches can't not coach. So if you spend time near a great coach, you become a better person. Um, and I feel like at the level Tony Robbins operates at, he yeah. would, uh, yeah, even if we we're just like, you know, d- digging, building sandcastles, he'd be like, yeah, that reminds me of yeah. <laughs> Coaches can't not coach. I've absolutely it actually. I I can't not coach when when I run into with a problem, and I'm sure he can't either. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely Tony Robbins is definitely a legendary one. I mean, it's he's been in the game for pretty much as long as I've been alive at this point. So it's it's mm-hmm. definitely great to see him over the years for sure. So going into closing, man. I mean, obviously you're a fellow podcaster, so this should be natural to you, man. Like now you're official. You're the the host of the Boss and Cage podcast. You're interviewing me. What questions do you have for me? Questions for you? Mm. Ah, oh, now we're all backwards. Yep. <laughs> so, so I, I, I guess, um, well, so what is the one piece of advice that you give people when they, especially people who are, or they're not sure what to do, people who are at that crossroads, what's the one piece of advice you give them? It's an interesting, interesting question. I mean, obviously, the first thing I would do is probably try to dig a little bit deeper to figure out, like, what are they really in love with and what where do they make their money currently? And then mm. try to get that overlap, like figure out the, the, the overlap between the two, because that's the reality of anyone in the world that's potentially wealthy. They'll figure out the problems and solve those problems, but then they'll also overlap that with whatever passions that they may have. And we've seen it done time and time again. Prime example would be Jeff Bezos, for example, his love for books turned into what the hell's going on right now at Amazon. Right. I mean, yep, yep. from his love for books. So. I like it. Cool. Cool. Well, that's it, man. I definitely appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule. I think it was definitely an informative and high impact episode for sure. And I appreciate you coming on the show. A guy who knows a guy. That's me. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Great. S.A. Grant over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. 
Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.